0: Okay, so the first reading tonight is from Romans chapter 11, um, and you'll find that on page 802 in your pew Bibles. Romans chapter 11, and I'll be reading 1 to 24. I asked then, did God reject his people? By no means. I'm an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham, from the tribe of Benjamin, God did not reject his people, who before knew. Don't you know what the scriptures say in the passage about Elijah? How he appealed to God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left, and they are trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, There is a remnant chosen by grace, and if by grace, then it is no longer by works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. What then? What Israel sought so earnestly, it did not obtain, but the elect did. The others were hardened, as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes so so that they could not see, and ears so that they could not hear to this very day. And David says, may their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see, and their backs be bent forever. Again I ask, do they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their fullness bring? I am talking to you, Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles. I make much of my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead. If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not boast over those branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in, granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid, for if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God, sternness sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise you also will be cut off and if they do not persist in unbelief they will be grafted in for God is able to graft them in again. After all if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree how much more readily will these uh, the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree?
1: Continuing at verse 25. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies on your account. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Just as you who were once at at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound all men over to disobedience, so that he may have mercy on them all. O the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable his judgments, and his paths beyond tracing out! Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen.
2: and my welcome. It's good to be with you again. We're in Romans chapter 11, so please get your Bibles open there and I'm going to pray. Father, thank you for the way that you sustain us, your daily mercies. Thank you for this church and for the people who gather here. Thank you for the scriptures and the way that you feed us. Thank you, Father, for your spirit who illuminates your word and who softens our hearts. And I do pray, Lord, that tonight our hearts, our minds, our wills will all be conformed more and more to the likeness of your Son. In his name. Amen. I've got uh, just one uh, plea for you tonight. And this is my plea. Uh, please... Never give up on people. Please never give up on those people you know and love who seem so hard to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Please don't write people off. You know, it's like there's that person, that member of your family, that friend, who you love dearly, who do not yet know Christ. And you used to witness to them And you used to weep for them. But now you kind of just accept that's the way it is. And you start to define them as an unbeliever. So instead of saying, uh, my brother does not yet know Christ, I say, oh, my brother is the unbeliever, as though that's who he is and that's who he's always going to be. Maybe you've got a friend from school or a friend from work who... You've been praying for, you've been witnessing to, but they seem so entrenched in a particular way of life. In the back of your mind, your your mind you're thinking uh, it would take an absolute miracle to save them. And I want to say to you tonight, yeah, it would. And if you're here tonight and you call yourself a Christian, it's taken a miracle to save you. Please don't write anybody off. Please don't give up on people. Let me give you a few examples. Uh, Many of us here at 645 Church uh, know Dave Jensen. So Dave grew up in a Christian home. Uh, He was exposed to the scriptures and to church every day as a child. uh, But he wandered a long, long, long way away from Christ. I first met Dave 12 and a half years ago. I prayed for him for about 10 years. I know his family wept for him and longed him to know Christ. And then about two years ago, God grabbed hold of Dave, lavished him with his grace, opened his eyes to Christ, and can totally turn his life around. And people didn't give up on him. People kept praying for him. People kept witnessing to him. Uh, another friend of mine, his name is Roger. When I first met Roger, this is uh, 20 years ago. Uh, he was intelligent, incredibly wealthy, incredibly good-looking, uh, dating a, a non-Christian girl, an unbelieving girl. When I first met Roger, I thought, oh, you know, you're, you're too cool for Christ. But God grabbed hold of him, and God opened his eyes, and he's now walking with Jesus. He's still intelligent, he's still very good-looking. He's a believer with a believing wife. Marjorie became a Christian aged 86. And I know that her family were praying for her for many, many years. Another guy I know in the UK called Justin, he became, I believe, aged 52. Uh, He was born into a Christian home. I know his dad prayed for him regularly. He turned to Christ aged 52. And just two weeks later, his father passed away, seeing his son come to faith. Don't give up on people. Don't write people off. And those stories, they bring me hope as I pray for my family and pray for my friends who do not yet know Christ. We shouldn't write them off. And I think that's the main message of Romans chapter 11. It's a complicated chapter. It's got these theological complexities. But the overall message is, is really quite simple. The message of Romans 11 is this. God is at work. God saves souls. And God's grace can o- overflow to all kinds of people. To Jews, to Gentiles, to rich, to poor, to young or old. So just don't write people off. Or, or put it in a positive. Romans 11 says, uh, be surprised. Be surprised at how God's grace can just save people. And I need to hear that. And I hope you need to hear that as well. Because sharing your faith can be really hard work, and and sometimes we slip into thinking that, that we are responsible for saving souls. And when you slip into that mindset, you do kind of categorize people, oh, they're too hard, they're too difficult. And we forget that God can save people in his good timing. Here's my main point tonight, God's overflowing grace to save souls. The situation here is that, is that Paul, Paul is a, is a converted Jew, or he's better to say he, he's a completed Jew. He's accepted Jesus as, as his Lord, his Saviour, the Messiah, and he's preaching Christ crucified first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Uh, But the Jewish people, the chosen people, the the privileged people who have the law and the temple and the covenants, they don't respond. Most Jewish people did not accept that Jesus was the promised Messiah. And the danger is that you write off the whole people. Uh, They're the unbelieving Jews. It would take a miracle to save them. Uh, Look at the context, 10 verse 21. Uh, But concerning Israel, God's chosen people, God says... All day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. It's quite an emotive picture, isn't it? God, our Heavenly Father, holding out His hands, reaching out for these people who are pig-headed and proud and obstinate. Now, when I do that to people, hold out my hand to people and they reject me, my response is to reject them. But that's not the God of the Bible. Verse 1, I ask then, did God reject his people Israel? No way. Uh, Verse 2, God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Those whom God had chosen before they were born, he lavished them with his grace in his good timing. So don't write them off. And Paul gives us three examples. The first example is Paul himself. Look at verse 1. Did God reject his people? No. No. I, Paul, the Apostle, am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. Do you remember the Apostle Paul's background? Intelligent, well-educated, upper-class, zealous Jew. He was a legalist. He was a blasphemer. He was a murderer. And you can imagine some of those Christians, those early Christians, writing Paul off. There is no way in the world that that Paul could be saved, a murdering, blaspheming, Christian-hating man. And Paul is saying, you know, if God can bring me in, if God can lavish me with his grace, if God can do that for me, don't you think God can do that for those synagogue full of people week in, week out? Of course he can. And I hope you find the, the conversion of the Apostle Paul incredibly encouraging. What an unlikely convert he was. And the second one, a second example is, is the, uh, the prophet Elijah. Verse 2, don't you know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah? He, he's referring to 1 Kings 19, where Elijah had that contest with the prophets of Baal. And then he heads to Mount Sinai, and he appealed to God. Verse 3, uh, Elijah said, Lord, they've killed your prophets Lord, they've torn down your altars. He's saying, God, we've got no temple. We can't worship you. We can't offer sacrifices. And we can't be forgiven. And then you've got this kind of melodramatic, I- I'm the only one left. God, I'm the only person who's saved. And what does God say in verse 4? God says, Elijah, don't be ridiculous. Don't be so narrow-minded. I've reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. He's he's saying, Elijah, just look around you. (laughs) Open your eyes to the horizons of my grace. Be surprised by my grace. Oh, sure, you can't see them yet, but I've got my hand on those people, and that leader of that rebellion, I've chosen him, and that person who is worshipping Baal at the moment, he is mine. I've got 7,000 people out there, and I will save them because that's the kind of God I am. Verse 5. So too, at the present time today, there is a remnant, a small number, chosen by, by grace, by undeserved favor. Now, do you see what this doctrine of grace does? When you realize that you are saved by the overflowing, lavish kindness and undeserved favor of God... It totally transforms the way you see people. If we think that people are saved by works, by their good deeds, then we'll sit here in this church and we'll have a good stab at who might be here this time next year. You know, that, that person at work who is such a moral person, well, God's bound to save her, and that person in the community, who does all those random acts of kindness. Oh, God's bound to save that person. And the nice people and the upright people and the religious people, God will save them. But when it comes to grace, God is kind of saying, be prepared to be surprised. God, if he chose, could save the whole of Greenway and could transform them by His grace. Wouldn't that be wonderful? If God chose, by His grace, He could bring in 2,000 people who live in Kiribili and save them totally. He could save your stubborn, proud, cynical friend. If He chose, God could save the whole of the Jewish communities, He could save the Muslim communities, He could save the Prime Minister, He could save anybody. They don't give up on people. In fact, the Bible warns us that being religious, being good and zealous for good works can actually be more dangerous. That's what verse 7 says. What then? What Israel, the, 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 uh, the chosen people, sought so earnestly by their good works, by their law-keeping. They didn't obtain it. But the elect, the chosen ones did. The ones chosen by grace. The others were hardened. God hardened them. As it's written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes so that they couldn't see and ears so they couldn't hear to this very day. And Paul quotes from Deuteronomy 29 and 30, the time where where Moses says to God's people, you've seen all these amazing things. You've seen all these miracles and yet you're just blind. You can't see at all. And I found that to be true. The people who seem closest and nicest and kindest and most religious, they're often the hardest to see Jesus because they think that they're worth something. They think that their works are worthy of their salvation. And these verses have thrilled me this week because God chooses people by grace and there are always people who, who don't get it, who won't get it, who refuse to get it, but we should never write people off. And please don't slip into that melodramatic Elijah-like, oh, we're the only people saved. There could be thousands out there that God has chosen. We just don't know who they are yet. Secondly tonight, God's extraordinary plan to save souls. Verses 11 to 32 are quite complicated, but they remind us that God has got a plan the way that he's going to save people. And it's quite surprising. Coming to verse 11. Again I ask, did the Jewish people stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Just because they've rejected Christ now doesn't mean that they are fallen beyond redemption. Don't write them off. And here's the extraordinary plan. Stick with me. Verse 11. Stage 1. Because of their transgression, because of the sin of Israel, the hardening of their hearts, due to their pride and their legalism. Stage two, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so God brings in the Gentiles. Stage three, God makes Israel envious or jealous. And that's the process. Israel are hardened, Gentiles are brought in, and then Israel see all the blessings and benefits being poured out on the the non-Jewish people, and they become jealous or envious. And so God uses that to bring them to salvation. Don't you find that extraordinary? That God would use envy and jealousy to bring people to salvation? I would never think of doing that. That, that passage is repeated a few times in these verses. Verse 13 He says, that, I'm the apostle to the Gentiles, I, I preach Christ to the Gentiles. I, I make much of my ministry, but what's the purpose, verse 14? in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. It's there again in verse 25. I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, this thing that was hidden before Christ. Verse 25, Israel has experienced a hardening in part, stage one, until the full number of the Gentiles comes in, stage two, stage three, so all Israel will be saved. Now, that phrase, all Israel will be saved, is a controversial phrase. He could be saying that at the end of time there will be this large-scale revival and all the Jewish people come flooding in. He could be saying that. And if he is saying that, I'll be rejoicing that Israelites are saved. But I think he's just saying that all the elect of the Jews will be saved. So as they see the blessings poured out to the Gentiles, they will turn to Christ and they will flock to Jesus. Now do you see how God uses jealousy and envy to bring people to Christ? Read the act of the apostles. Paul went to the synagogues. The Jews rejected it. So he went to the Gentiles. They accepted it. And then the Jews saw the Gentiles being saved and they flocked in. And I just wonder whether that's a, a warning to us here. You see the Jews became arrogant and proud and thought they were somebody's, And so God took the gospel to new people. And I do wonder whether the church in the Western world is in danger of becoming arrogant and proud. Like a 100 years ago, it was the Western church that was sending missionaries out to Africa and out to Asia. And we sit here thinking, oh, we're important and we've made it and we know it all. And God, in his wisdom, has decided to to grow the church in Africa exponentially. And the church in the West is on the decline. And perhaps, just perhaps, the church in the West will become envious, seeing all these Christians in in uh, in Africa and Asia, and will flock back to Jesus. See the plan? God uses jealousy or envy to save souls. So what's your response? Two responses. Here's the first one. Humility. Now I'm assuming that we are predominantly Gentiles here. Verse 30 says, I'm talking to you Gentiles. The you is singular to you individuals. And what's Paul's word to us? Verse 18. Do not boast. Or down to verse 20. Do not be arrogant. Don't boast, and don't be arrogant. And that's what grace does. If you recognize you've been saved by grace, there's no boasting. There's no superiority. There's no thinking you're somebody. There's no arrogance. There's no pride. God's grace just keeps you very humble. And if you've understood Romans 11 tonight, you would leave this place not proud, not boasting, not arrogant, but humbled again that God's grace could be lavished on you. Uh, Paul uses an image here of a tree, an olive tree. And the olive tree has its roots in in the Jewish history, the patriarchs of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But he says in verse 17, if some of the branches, that's the, the Jewish people, if they've been broken off, the Jews who don't believe in Jesus, taken out of the tree, and verse 17, and you, Gentile... Look at the next phrase, though a wild olive shoot. That's not flattering, is it? You were just a weed. You were just out there on your own, a wild little olive shoot. You didn't belong anywhere. You had no rightful place in this tree. But you've been grafted in. And you, a weed, have been grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, you now enjoy all those benefits of forgiveness and restoration and the privilege of being a child of God. If you've understood that, you've just been grafted in. You don't deserve anything. Then verse 13, do not boast over those branches. Please don't think you're better than anybody. Don't you think boasting... Or pride is a very ugly thing. You know, those people who think that they're somebody's, who think they're better than you, who think they're more deserving of you, more gifted than you, it's an ugly thing. And grace keeps you humble. Grace keeps you totally humble. And, and the warning is there in verse nineteen. Uh, you will say then, well, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. That's true. God, in his wisdom, took out some Jews and grafted you in. But they were broken off because of unbelief. What, what caused the unbelief of the Israelites? It was pride, wasn't it? Uh, those Israelites thought, we are the people of God, we're important. We're more important than those Gentiles. We're worthy of this. God needs us. So, verse 20, do not be arrogant, but be afraid. For if God didn't spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. And he's kind of saying, I, I beg of you, the moment that you think that you are worthy, the moment you think you are deserving, the moment that you think that you are somebody, you've shifted away from grace. And you're in grave danger. And I find those verses quite sobering. Especially when you've been in church for a while. And you you waltz in every Sunday and you think you own the place. And there's no reverence for God and there's no awe. And you look around and you're quite proud and you think, I'm a somebody. And you think, oh, this church needs me. And if I wasn't here, this church wouldn't be here. And and God says no. No. Don't be arrogant. God could remove you as quickly as he, as he removed the unbelieving Jews. You heard of the, the new phrase, the humble brags? Humble brags are people who use social media. They use Twitter. They use Facebook. And it's kind of bragging cloaked in humility. And they would just tell you all the wonderful things they've done. And then they put a little phrase at the end saying, praise God. And it's me, 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 me. Praise God. And there's that danger, isn't there? That we think just because like we're doing lots of things for God, that we become these very proud, arrogant people. And I wonder whether this is a warning for the church here in Sydney with its reputation. And we think we're important. And we think, well, uh, God can only save souls through the church, this particular church in Sydney. And we've got all these young entrepreneurs who are quite arrogant in the way they're approaching church planting, thinking that God can only save people with their particular style of church. And we need to be humbled. God will save people by His grace in His timing. So how do you remain humble? The answer is in verse 22. Paul says, Consider, therefore... Meditate on the kindness and the sternness of God. Isn't that beautiful? Keep those two things hand in hand. God is kind, but God is severe. God is compassionate, but God is also a judge. Remember the kindness of God. Remember that he's lavished you with his grace. Remember you've been grafted in. How kind of God to do that. Remember, I'm just a weed, but God has been so gracious to me. But also the sternness of God, that God could blind the eyes of the proud, that God could remove people very quickly. How do you remain humble? Remind each other daily that God's grace. Come back to the cross every day and say, thank you for your undeserved kindness and your grace. The second response is this. Pure praise. If you've been gripped by the grace of God, Your your lips and your lives will be overflowing with adoration and praise. Verses 33 to 36 are really the climax of chapter 1 to 11. If you've read chapter 1 to 11, Paul has just walked you through the gospel. While while you were a sinner, Christ died for you, and nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ, and I'm justified, I'm sanctified, I'm glorified, and he's, he's kind of reached the peak of the mountain, and he sort of stops for breath. And he goes, oh, wow. Wow, God, the depth of the, the riches or the wealth of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. As I stop and I look at what God has done for me, wow. God, you are rich in mercy, you are rich in kindness, you are rich in your glory and your wisdom. Who would ever have thought that the the foolishness of a cross could save souls? But that's wise of you, God, because it humbles us. And your knowledge, you know me intimately and yet you love me. And your knowledge because you know who you're going to save. Wow, God, how unsearchable your judgments and your paths are beyond tracing out. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for the way that I try and tell you how to run your world. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Lord, forgive me for the times I've tried to tell you how to run your world. Forgive me for the times when I've tried to tell you who you should save. Verse 35, who has ever given to God that God should repay him? God, you owe me nothing. And I owe you Everything. Verse thirty-six: For from God, and through God, and to God, are all things. So to God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He's just saying, God, you are the the author of all things. You are the sustainer of all things. The deliverer of all things. You are before all things and beyond all things. And to, to you, God, be the glory forever and ever. And I see what it does. It's 100% grace, and so it's 100% glory to God. It's 100% His works, and so 100% glory goes to Him. Isn't that wonderful? If it was a part of you, if it was 5% you and 95% God, then some of the glory would go back to you. But it's nothing to do with you. It's all to do with God. And so He gets all the glory. And friends, I want to plead with you tonight. Put God at the center of everything. Put God at the center of everything you say and everything you do. It humbles you. It strips you of your pride. It strips you of your arrogance. And you stop writing people off. Because you don't save people. You don't choose people. God does that. So let him do his work in his good timing. I don't know who it that is you've written off. I don't know who it is you think is beyond saving. Pray. Preach to them. Live gracious lives before them. And let God do the work. And when he does, all the glory back to him. I'm going to give you a moment now to to pray for somebody who perhaps you have written off. To pray for that person who you think is beyond saving. And then I'll close the time of there. God, we stand in awe of you. We praise you for your knowledge, your wisdom, your riches, your kindness, your judgments, your grace. Father, we ask for your forgiveness for the times we try and tell you how to run your world. And we lift up to you now these names that we have called out to you of people that we know, people that we love, who do do not yet know the Lord Jesus Christ. And we plead with you, Lord, to have mercy upon them and to lavish them with your grace. Please surprise us, Lord, by the people that you're gracious to. Lord, keep us humble, strip us of our pride and our arrogance and our boasting. And Lord, may our lips and our lives bring you all the praise that you deserve. In Jesus' name.